Why don't you take your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. And if you don't have your own Bible, we have provided one there for you in the pews. And you can turn to 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, or page 705 in your pew Bibles. Uh, Do you read your Bible? What a great privilege to be holding in our hands the Word of God in our own language as you're surrounded in our auditorium for this past year with the Makande people who do not have the privilege of what we're about to do. It's great as a church that we're raising funds to help them do what we are about to do, hear from God in the language that we dream in. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, the principle and truth, the way you relate to us in this verse is a passage that it takes us many years to learn. But once we do, the flow of your grace into our relationships, our heart, our lives is astounding. Father, may we hear from you this morning how we may humble ourselves because you fight, you resist, the proud, but you give grace, abundant grace, the grace that we need. You give that to the humble. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ humbled himself and became a man and became obedient unto death, a death even on a cross, but in that humbling you gave him grace and exalted him with a name above every name. It's by the name of Jesus that we seek to hear you speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are beginning a brand new series, a fall series, and for the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about the subject of relationships in a series that we're calling How to Ruin Relationships and restore them God's way. Now, I'll be honest with you, and I hope you'll join me in that honesty, that uh, we do a pretty good job of ruining relationships on our own, don't we? Would you agree with that? And so we don't really need a whole lot more help or instruction or guidance on, on how to ruin relationships for the simple reason that sin so easily creeps into our lives. And so... If we don't deal with that sin, God's way, then that sin will ruin relationships sooner or later. And so what we're going to do in this series, each Sunday that we're here together, is we're going to look at a particular issue or a particular sin that threatens to ruin the relationships that we have in life. And and then we'll look at a key text in God's Word to figure out how to restore relationships God's way, what God's Word has to say about dealing with that issue, that particular sin that threatens to ruin our relationships. And so we're going to cover topics such as this morning, like be full of yourself, or 
you know, say whatever you want, just blurt it out, just get it off your chest, or, or use anger to get your way, to get what you want, or live with unresolved conflict, never be satisfied, be unforgiving. These are all ways, issues, in which we ruin the relationships that we have in life. Did you know that God's Word actually has a lot to say about these particular issues? Very, very relevant. Very practical, God's Word is. And so I hope, hope you'll make an effort, uh, make plans to come for the next six weeks as we go through this series and discover what God's Word has to say about each of these issues. In fact, our, our grow groups will be utilizing discussion questions from uh, this, this series, this worship series. And so if you haven't yet signed up to be part of a grow group, there's still time. You can still sign up at the back table. Let me encourage you to do that. And, uh, and get connected in a grow group for this fall, for the next few months here. Now, before we get into our first issue, let me just kind of set the stage for, for why this series is important. Why this series is worth talking about, worth you listening to, and coming to be a part of. And here's why. We all have relationships. Every one of us here lives in relationships. We all have relationships. And sin ruins those relationships. But God's grace, through Jesus Christ, can restore those relationships. That's the good news. So we got bad news and good news here in this series. The bad news is we, we, we have relationships, but sin threatens to destroy those relationships. The good news is God's grace that's provided to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, can help us to restore those relationships. Now, did you realize, though, that relationships were actually God's idea to begin with? God's the one who designed us for relationship first and foremost with himself, and then designed us for relationships with one another. And so relationships are important. They're important to God. In fact, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all exist in a beautiful, harmonious relationship with one another. They give us the example here. And the beauty of the Garden of Eden, if you go back to Adam and Eve, was the relationship harmony between Adam and Eve and between God that he had with Adam and Eve. But, of course, most of you know the story, when Adam and Eve sinned, it affected their relationships. It had consequences on their relationships. And, it, and if it were not for the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ which creates now, offers us reconciliation with God, offers us the hope of reconciliation with one another, if it wasn't for that grace, there would be no hope at all for our relationships. So we are truly indebted to God and to His Son, Jesus Christ, for the grace that He offers us. And so relationships have really been part of our lives since the beginning of time, since the beginning of mankind. They're nothing new. We all have them. We have relationships with family members, with friends, with neighbors. We have relationships at work, in the neighborhood, with uh, even here at church. None of us live in isolation. Although I can think of a few people I want to get away with at times from. I'm sure you have some of those people at work, maybe in your family, you wish you could get away from, isolate yourself from at times. But the reality is we all have relationships, and those relationships are often a source of either great joy in our lives or a source of great pain, and perhaps a little bit of both. So it makes sense. 
makes sense to, to look at our relationships, to think through our relationships according to God's Word. After all, God is the designer of our lives and our relationships. In his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, Paul Tripp observes, and I quote, my self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. He adds, if I'm going to see myself clearly, I need you to hold the mirror of God's word in front of me. He then explains why. Since each of us still has sin remaining in us, we will have pockets of spiritual blindness. In other words, what he's saying to us here is that we have spiritual blind spots in our lives. And those blind spots threaten to ruin our relationships. And we desperately need, therefore, God's Word to be a mirror to us, a mirror to our hearts. We, know, we need to know the truth about ourselves, even if it hurts a little bit. So with this in mind, let's dive into this first issue here that threatens to ruin our relationships. How to ruin relationships and restore them God's way. Here's the first issue. If you want to ruin relationships, all you got to do is be prideful. Just be full of yourself, and you're on your way to ruining relationships. If you want to restore relationships, then be humble. That's the big idea that we're going to see this morning. And Peter gives us one of the most important statements on pride and humility in all the Bible. Pastor Chris read it for us. Look at it with us again. It's there in your notes. I invite you to follow along if you're a guest here. Uh, there's an insert in your bulletin that you can... Uh, Follow along if you want to. I want to read the verse, though, out of the English Standard Version. Notice what it says. Verse 5. Peter's writing here, and he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The fact is that none of us are immune to the blinding effects of pride. Though it shows up in different forms and to different degrees, listen, it infects all of us. The real issue here is not if pride exists in our hearts, but rather it's where pride exists and how pride is being expressed in our lives and how that pride is threatening our relationships. Pride is strongly rooted in our lives. In fact, far more than most of us care to admit, far more than most of us even realize. C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, Pride is the central vice of the human personality. Anger, promiscuity, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison, he says. In other words, pride is the driving sin of our lives today. In fact, pride is the most significant roadblock on the highway of a right relationship with God and having right relationships with one another. Pride is the one that stands in the way. It's the roadblock. In fact, one pastor states this about himself. He says, the worst decisions in my life, the times my anger has gotten the best of me, and the instances of my greatest regret were all the result of my pride. Pride never helped anything. Pride never improved anything. And so no wonder author and pastor John Stott says, Pride is the greatest enemy, and humility is our greatest friend. In other words, he's just saying the same thing that Peter told us many, many years ago. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace 
to the humble. What I want us to do for the next few minutes is to dive into that idea, that reality, if you will, that truth and how it impacts our lives and our relationships. Notice this with me. Number one, pride invites the very opposition of God. Pride invites the opposition of God. Now, in my opinion, the most haunting verse in all the Bible is found right here. When Peter writes, James also quotes the same verse, God opposes the proud. I cannot think of anything worse than to have an all-powerful God opposed to me. But this verse is telling us that if, if we persist on our way, our rights, our glory, our best interests, then the living God of the universe will work against us in direct opposition. And it's our pride that puts us in this dreadful position. You know, pride has quite a history. Pride was the very first sin to destroy the, the very calm of eternity. It was pride that cast Lucifer, we know him today as Satan, from heaven. It was pride that cost our first parents, Adam and Eve, their place in the Garden of Eden. Pride is the first sin to enter man's heart, and the reality is it's often the last sin to leave. Pride is a nasty sin because it's so sneaky, it's so deceptive. In fact, most proud people do not think they are proud. Why? Well, because they're proud. No sin is more offensive to God than the sin of pride. The Bible tells us, especially in the book of Proverbs, that God detests pride. He even hates a proud look. Again, quoting John Stott, he writes, Pride is more than the first of the deadly sins. It is itself the essence of all sin. Proverbs 8, 13 through 14 says, The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate, the Lord says. And so God's hatred of this particular sin of pride is unalterable. For according to Proverbs 16, 5, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And so what we have here is that indeed, from God's perspective, pride seems to be the most serious sin. But why is that? Why? Why does God hate pride so fiercely and so passionately? Well, one reason is because, notice this in your notes, it's because pride contends with God for supremacy. It contends with God for supremacy. And the reason we are contending with God for supremacy is because we have a superior view of ourselves and an inferior view of God himself. This was the very motivation behind Lucifer's pride, according to Isaiah 14. It was in pride that Satan rebelled against God because he desired to be God. Satan, Lucifer, he wanted to rule, and so he contended with God for that supremacy. He wanted to be the top dog. He wanted God's glory for himself. In pride, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Why? Because they wanted to be like God. They're contending with God, in other words, for supremacy. 
and in pride. We now, all of humanity, us here even today, we reject at times God's wisdom. We reject His will. We even reject His word because after all, hey, we think we know better than God. Hey, I know how to run my life and rule my life better than you. I know how to do relationships better. And in that attitude, we're contending with God. We're, we're competing with Him for supremacy. And so God hates pride because proud people are contending with Him for supremacy. C.J. Mahaney, who is an author, pastor, he, in one of his books titled Humility, he says, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon Him. Therefore, the motive in pride is, is really, you could boil it down to this, it's really self-glorification. It's to rob God of His glory and it's to seek our own glory, thereby attempting to deprive God of something that only belongs to Him, that only He is worthy of. And so no wonder God hates pride. Pride is contending with God for supremacy. And whenever, get this, whenever we contend with God for supremacy, there's going to be fallout. There's going to be some sort of consequence. Listen, we don't just walk away in our lives and in our relationships unscathed. Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us, a verse you've probably heard before, pride goes before what? A fall or destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Which brings us then to the pearls of pride, the dangers of pride. Notice this. You see, the pearls and dangers of it, it actually invites the opposition of God. And, and, and because of that, in light of that, it is also the root cause of so many ruined relationships in our lives. Let me ask you, what do you hate? And I know hate's a strong word these days, not a political correct word to use. Don't drink the hater aid, right? But what do you hate? Here, I'll share with you some things I hate. I hate liver and onions. And I, I'll be the first to raise my hand. I hate any sports team from New York City. <laughs> After all, if you're a true Royals fan, you, you despise the Yankees, right? I mean, after all, they beat us last night. We've got to win today, right? We've got to win this series. But listen, I, I say that, you know, it's kind of humorous what we hate. We can go down the list. I'm sure you hate some things. And we use the word hate. We, we know what we understand by that. We don't like it. We despise it. It's not our favorite thing. And you and I, listen, we hate nothing to the degree that God hates pride, though. His hatred for pride, understand this, is, is pure. It's even holy. It's righteous because that's what God is. And because God cannot tolerate this arrogance within us, Peter now tells us, James says the same thing, that God opposes the proud. This word opposes here, or opposition in this verse, it's in the active present tense verb, which basically shows us or tells us that God's opposition to pride, listen, it's a constant activity. It's never ending. It never stops. In other words, a proud person is continually being opposed by God. 
And so now one of the ways you may be asking, well, how does God oppose people, oppose me and my pride? We don't have time to get into all of it, but let me just share with you that one of the ways that God opposes people is to actually allow us, allow you to run your own life, to have your way in life, to allow your self-centered and self-seeking heart to run wild as you wish. Listen, that's a scary thing for God to say. Okay, you can run your life. Let's see how that works for you. And when God lets us run unrestrained with our pride, it has devastating consequences on our relationships. And for this reason, I would suggest, I would even argue that pride is the root cause of most, if not all, relationship problems even to this day. A couple of verses in Proverbs tell us, such as Proverbs 13.10, where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 28.25 says, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. This is perhaps why Jonathan Edwards called pride, listen to this, I love this quote, he called pride the worst viper that is in the heart. You know what he's saying? Pride kills relationships. Pride can keep you from apologizing when you've been wrong. Pride can cause you to defend yourself when you're confronted by somebody. Pride can cause you to be argumentative and easily angered. It can cause you to be divisive and defensive. It can cause you to be selfish and stubborn. And if you allow it, pride will rob you of some of the most treasured relationships in your life. Do you see now how devastating pride is to our relationships? It invites the very opposition from, of God into our lives. And it's the source of so many problems in our relationships. In other words, we can say it this way, summarize it this way, I don't care, pride kills relationships. In fact, why don't we say that together? Pride kills relationships. But thankfully, oh my, thankfully, hallelujah, thankfully, this verse here that we're looking at, this text, what Peter tells us, doesn't stop with just pride. It goes on, and it tells us something good about humility, which brings us to our second point here. Number two, humility invites the grace of God. It invites the grace of God. Now, if nothing could be worse than having Almighty God opposed to me, and I've got good news, then nothing could be better than having that same God treat us graciously. And God ju does just that to the humble. Humility invites the grace of God on our lives. The reason, please understand this, is not that humility is a performance of virtue that we do to somehow earn God's grace. Let me say that again. The reason humility invites the grace of God is not that humility is a performance of virtue that we do to earn the grace of God, but rather humility is a confession of our dependence on God that receives His grace. And there's totally difference in that. Look again what Peter says about humility here in verse 
in 1 Peter 5. In particular, verse 5 at the beginning. Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then you drop down to verse 6. And he writes, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And so twice, in two verses here, we are commanded to be what? To be humble. Why? Well, sandwiched in the middle of those two commands is the reason why. Because God resists or opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, humility invites the grace of God on our lives and in our relationships. Now, why then does God honor humility? If God hates pride, we already saw why, but He honors humility. Why is that? Well, notice this. Because humility celebrates dependence on God. And now, you see, pride contends with God for supremacy, but humility celebrates our dependency on Him because we now have a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of God. You know what? This gets God's attention. There's an interesting passage of Scripture, a verse in Isaiah. I think this is in your notes, Isaiah 66, verse 2. Look what it says. He says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In other words, humility draws the grace of our sovereign God. And it invites his amazing grace in our lives. I cannot say this enough. Humility is essential to relationships. Just as air is essential to the life of human beings. Humility is essential to the life of relationships. Without air, we will what? Die. Go without air long enough, and you will die. And without humility, relationships will die. But with humility, relationships will thrive. They'll live. They'll be successful, and here's why. Here's the promise of humility. Notice this. Because God gives His grace to the humble. He gives His grace to the humble. You say, what is grace? We don't have time to get into it, but let me give you one simple definition. It's in the rest of this point here. Grace is simply the power to live life and to do relationships according to God's plan. That's grace. And he gives that to us. It's his power. Humility is an attitude which it puts others first. It thinks of the desires and needs of others as more worthy of attention than our own. But that's not how we normally think, is it? I know that's not how I think normally. What about you? It's definitely not how our culture calls us to act. But God does. And God gives us the power to live this way. And so when we offend someone, when we hurt someone, when we lash out to someone, whether intentional or unintentional, we have God's grace. We have His power to deal with it God's way. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Listen, those are healing words that only a grace-filled person will use. And it's only through God's grace that we can begin to live life and do relationships God's way. 
In fact, what's interesting, this is the whole basis upon which Paul tells us how to live life, how to do relationships according to God's plan. It's on the basis of this grace, this power that we've received because we have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and Paul tells us, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What calling? Calling of salvation. You receive God's grace at salvation. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul then writes again, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, if any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then, here's the kicker, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so it's through grace, God's grace that he gives us, that we now can live life according to God's plan. Live life God's way. Do relationships God's way. And so humility, it really is the difference between life and death in relationships. For pride invites the very opposition of God, but humility invites the very grace of God. And so the application seems rather obvious, doesn't it? Notice it. Cultivate humility. Cultivate humility in your life and in your relationships. Now, don't miss the logic here. Follow Peter's line of thought as he writes these verses, inspired by the very Spirit of God. The first part of verse 5 tells us what to do. And what is it? We are to clothe ourselves, all of you, he says, with humility toward one another. And the last part of verse 5 tells us why we should do this. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So it seems, cultivating humility, we have a part to play in that. It's a choice that we've got to decide on, make. Each of us must choose to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. But this is far easier said than done, is it not? Or am I the only one? All right, at least there's a few of you that agree. Again, if you don't mind me quoting from C.S. Lewis, he writes, If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the very first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. If you think you're not conceited, it means you're very conceited indeed. And so none of us here, none of us, including myself, none of us can say, Oh, I used to be proud. Glad that's over. <laughs> For that would be pride. Again, quoting from C.J. Mahaney, I love this. In his book, he describes himself as a proud man pursuing humility by the grace of God. Man, the same could be said for all of us because as Christ's followers, 
we are venturing in the direction of humility by the grace of God. And that's kind of the catch here with this. Humble ourselves. Humility invites God's grace, and yet it takes the grace of God to be humble. And so it's circular in a lot of ways. We need God's grace to be humble, and yet we got to make it, we got to choose, we got to humble ourselves too. Invite the grace of God in our lives. As you venture in the direction of humility, though, watch out. Oh, watch out. Warning here. There will be times on the highway of relationships when you must choose to avoid head-on collisions with people. Martin Luther used to tell the story about two mountain goats who met each other on a very narrow ledge, just wide enough for one of the goats to pass. On the left was a, a sheer cliff. On the right of the ledge was a steep wall, and the two goats were now facing each other, and it was impossible to turn around. There wasn't enough room for the goats to turn around, and it was impossible for them to kind of back up. So how did these two goats solve their dilemma? What were they going to do? Well, if they had been people, they probably would have started butting each other until they plunged into the canyon below, because that's how we respond, right? But according to Martin Luther, the goats had more sense than that. One of them laid down on the trail and let the other walk over him. And both were safe and able to continue on. Now, if you're like me, when I first read that story, I was like, ah, I don't know about that. I could never let somebody walk over me like that. I mean, are you thinking that right now a little bit? Sure, we all are. You're not normal if you're not. I mean, I just don't know if I can cultivate that kind of humility, Bruce. Well, that's why we have God's promise. God gives grace to the humble, the power to live life and to do relationships His way. And then God gives us now two incentives, two motivations for cultivating humility in the rest of these two verses here. Verses 6 and 7, look at it with me. Look what Peter writes. In verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. In these two short little verses, we have two incentives for cultivating humility. The first incentive is this. God will use His mighty hand to exalt the humble. What comes to your mind when it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God? Well, it doesn't mean we're under God's mighty thumb. That's not the idea. As though his dealings with us are cruel and oppressive and impulsive. It, listen, if you're a believer in Christ here this morning, then do you realize you are beloved by God? You are one of his dear children, and he deals with us as his beloved children, as a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us. In fact, what's interesting, you go to the Old Testament, and this, this phrase, the, the mighty hand of God, it refers to God oftentimes moving to deliver his people 
from trouble and distress, to, to protect his people, to fight for his people, to guide his people, to help his people. An example is when God delivered his people from bondage in Egypt and delivered them into the promised land. And in the same way, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may deliver us from fear and worry, oftentimes that exist because of relationships, and exalt us at the proper time. So, so get this. Man, this, is, this blows me away. That mighty hand of God, that mighty hand that God uses to oppose the proud is the very same hand that God uses to exalt the humble. That's cool. Man, that is so awesome. And the second incentive to cultivate humility is this. God will use his mighty hand to care for the humble. Verse 7 says, casting all your cares or your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And who here doesn't have anxieties and worries when it comes to life and relationships? And we all do. But those anxieties are to be cast on God, not carried by us. And so how do you go about that? How do you cast your anxiety on God? don't have a lot of time to, to go into this, but, but first and foremost, by believing this promise here. You've got to believe it. Believe the promise that, hey, God actually cares for me. He cares for the humble. And so it's a matter of trust. Casting your anxieties on God means trusting the promise that he cares for you and that he has the power and wisdom to put that care to work in your life and in your relationships. That trust is the opposite of pride. That trust is the essence of humility. That trust is the confidence that the mighty hand of God is not over you to crush you, but to care for you. And when it says that he cares, it means it's the idea that God will not stand by and let things develop without his influence. It means he will act. He will work on your behalf. Not always the way we want. Because he's God and he knows things that we don't. He sees things that we don't see. He knows what's best for us better than we think we know what's best for us. But he will work. He will use his mighty hand to care for us, to exalt us. So don't be proud. Humbly cast your anxieties on God because he will care for you. Yes, there's no doubt about it. Cultivating humility in life and relationships, it's, it's hard work. But with God's help, with his power, with his grace, it is possible. Listen, pride creates so many problems in our life. And it really does ruin relationships. It kills relationships. But humility, get this, it opens the door for God's grace to restore those relationships. Now because of pride, because of the history of pride and in, in the history of mankind, we live in a world now that is filled with ruined relationships that desperately needs God's healing grace. 
And while restoring these relationships are important, there is one relationship, listen to me, that is far more important than any other relationship in our life. And that is our relationship with God Himself. The problem, though, is our sin. My sin, your sin, has separated us from God. And our pride often keeps us from seeking God. And if we remain in this condition in our lives, in this spiritual condition, listen, God will be our judge. And we will suffer eternal judgment for our sins when we die. That's a scary thought. In fact, that's the bad news. That is bad news. But the good news is, God loves you. The good news is, God wants to have a relationship with you, not as your judge, but as your heavenly Father. In fact, God loves you so much that He's provided a way to save us from the judgment of our sins by sending His Son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins with His death on the cross. In other words, Jesus humbly took our place on the cross so we could now be reconciled to God. Jesus' death, His resurrection, it's what makes it possible for us now to receive forgiveness for our sins. It's what makes it possible for us to now receive the gift of eternal life and to be in a right relationship with God, to be at peace with God in that relationship. But we must put away our pride. We must humble ourselves by trusting Jesus as our Savior and Lord. You know, I'm so thankful that Jesus humbled himself to the point of dying on the cross for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God. And we can know him as our Heavenly Father, not as our judge. And all we need to do is humble ourselves by trusting Jesus as our Savior and Lord. You know, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible is John 3.16, isn't it? We could probably all say it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to share with you a not-so-famous passage of Scripture. Three verses. It comes from Romans 5, verses 8 through 10, where it says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's good news. And since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? In other words, reconciliation with God comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And as we bow our heads, and as we come to our response time this morning, may I ask you just a few questions, a couple of questions to help you kind of put this message, this talk into context in your own life. Do you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Has there ever been a time in your life where you've trusted Jesus for your salvation? Where you've asked Him to forgive you of your sins? Where you've You've trusted Him for the gift of eternal life.
Are you reconciled in your relationship with God through your faith in His Son? Here's how you can receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. It, it begins by admitting your need. I'm a sinner and my pride stands in the way. That's the first step. The second step is to then be willing to turn from your sins. And that takes humility. To humble yourself and to turn from your sins and to turn to Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then the third step is to confess that, to believe that, to express that heart's desire to God, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for you on the cross and rose from the grave. In fact, here's just a simple prayer you can use to express your heart's desire. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and my pride stands in the way. But God, I want to humble myself and ask you to forgive me for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again. And Lord, I want to turn from my sins and turn to you as my Savior and Lord. And I want to follow you from this day forward in my life and relationships. In your name, amen. Lord, we come to you again. We thank you for your word here. We thank you for your word being a mirror to our hearts and revealing the pride in our hearts that we struggle with. And yet your grace, when we humble ourselves, comes upon us and gives us the power to do life and live relationships your way. Lord, if there are some that do not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. You would give them the faith to confess you and to pray to you, even now during our response time. In your name, amen. The praise team's going to sing, and as they do, why don't you do business with God? Just pray to him right now. Confess your sin of pride. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to give you the grace to live a humble life.